Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 292. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee is not with me. He's with me in spirit. You know that, man. We're all still trying to send much love to the man, Cold Coffee. But he is back in Las Vegas. He'll be with me next week. In the meantime, I am in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, just outside of uh, Philadelphia. I am here at the uh, host hotel for Cage Fury Fighting Championships. Of course, I'm in town to do CFFC 86 tonight. Thursday night, as we always do when we sit down to record the MMA Roadshow. And then the follow-up, Friday night, CFFC 87, both of them on UFC Fight Pass. So definitely make sure you check out uh, those fights. Be me and my man CM Punk uh, on the microphone. Uh, Jessica Penne uh, could not make it out this time with all the COVID restrictions and other things that we got in place. They're trying to minimize the amount of people in here. But hopefully we'll be working with Jessica Penne again uh, in the very near future. But myself and CM Punk will be on the mic. And, uh, man, if you've ever tuned into CFFC, you know that they put on some uh, some fantastic fights. So definitely want to tune in for that if you can. A um, little tired. It's, uh, it's actually Thursday afternoon. I always say we sit down on a Thursday evening. This time it's Thursday afternoon. Uh, because I do have the fights tonight, and uh, you just never know how you're going to feel afterwards. You know what I mean? I didn't didn't want to be out of energy or uh, get too late, that sort of thing. And then, uh, obviously, cold coffee would have to wait on me to get done late on the East Coast. So I'm sitting here on a Thursday afternoon looking outside at kind of a cold and dreary Philadelphia. Well, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, excuse me, <laughs> just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, took the red eye in uh, overnight to, uh, to Philadelphia. And, man, I'll be honest with you um, – I don't I don't know how much uh how much you guys watch the news here in in Philadelphia. I didn't know, but uh shout out to the folks at CFFC, man. I love working with these guys. But I actually got a text early Wednesday morning that was, "Hey, uh you know, understand how how stressful these times can be on your family if if you don't feel comfortable making it in, uh you know, don't worry about it. The show's going to go on, but you know, if you want to back out, totally understandable." And uh I, to be honest, I, I didn't know what it was related to. I was like, I thought it was you know, COVID-19 related or something. And, uh, I was like, no, I'm, I'm good guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out, but I'm, I'm good. I'll be there. And, uh, it was only after that, that I found out that there had been some, uh, some, uh, looting and, uh, protests in the, uh, Philadelphia area. So, uh, hopefully, uh, it, it seems like those things have subsided after a couple of days, but, uh, Shout, shout out to CFSC for looking out for our health and safety. I appreciate that. And shout out to me for uh, probably needing to watch a little bit more news. <laughs> so I know what's going on, man. Uh, but yeah, I just to be honest with you, man, first week back from, from Abu Dhabi, first week back from Fight Island, I was kind of just taking a few days off and unplugging. And uh, my dad and my stepmom came in and visited and uh, was just kind of enjoying some time with the family. So... I uh, was not aware of what I was getting into, but uh, I, I fully believe that uh, everything will be good. They they are they are committed to doing things the right here at, uh, at CFSC. So um, one of these days, by the way, like I said, I work with CM Punk uh, on on the mic. Today's schedule won't allow for it, but uh, one of these days I'm gonna have him on uh, sit down for an episode when I'm out there with him uh, doing a show. So uh, unfortunately, he he flies in from from Chicago, so. It's a much shorter trip. He doesn't have to get here nearly as early. So the schedule is a little too tight today since he's arriving today as well. But 
we'll definitely do um, a podcast in the future. So I uh, really, really enjoy working with Punk. I know he gets his share of heat sometimes for his UFC career, uh, but behind the scenes, man, he's a really, really good dude. And, and man, really, really passionate about the sport, honestly, man. Uh, still trains, uh, I think, pretty much every day and uh, still very much, you know, is involved and loves it. So, uh, brief mention of cold coffee. Uh, like I said, he, he thought about maybe trying to ask him to tape a message or something, but I figured, you know what, Let's just give him a space one more, one more week. Uh, I can tell everybody that, uh, that has been asking me, man, and it's been, man, the outpouring of support continues to remain, uh, strong. He is doing a lot better, man. He's, he's definitely doing a lot better. Still a lot of, uh, ups and downs with everything that he's going through, but, uh, but he is doing a lot better and, and, uh, him and I'll be back together next week in uh, in las vegas so um i, I will say uh <laughs> the week after that he's actually got another schedule uh, another uh, surgery scheduled so we'll we'll certainly talk about that when i'm with him man it's kind of crazy what 2020 is doing to that guy man not 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 fair at all 2020 sucks for everybody so i won't say that his is any worse than anybody else's but uh it does seem that he's had an unfair share of crap pointed in his direction so uh as we mentioned first week after fight island um just as, as a heads up, I will not be covering the Anderson Silva Uriah Hall fight on site. I just don't make it back in time to get COVID tested, uh, so I'll just be watching that one on TV. Cold Coffee will be there. We'll still do a and a half episode over on the uh, Patreon.com/slash The May Road Show. I'll certainly be watching the fights, and we'll talk about that card shortly because I think it's a good one. Uh, but I will not be there. So just a heads up on that. But uh, I'm happy to be back, man. It was a good time in, in Abu Dhabi. Big shout out to Oscar Willis from the Mac Life, man. He was with me all 35 days and, and offered up a lot of his time in terms of doing, you know, pre-fight podcasts, post-fight podcasts. We did a couple video previews together that we um, that we put on both of our outlets, which I thought was cool. You know, kind of collaborate like that, and both of us released around the same time. Uh, it was fun to do. So, a uh, big shout out to him. Really enjoyed the time over there. I mean, Abu Dhabi is. Man, it's it's fantastic, dude. It's everything that they tell you it is. It's top notch. They're committed to tourism. Um, I almost get sick of hearing about it. You know, oh, the hospitality is so amazing, uh, but it is, man. It really is. They're committed to making it a tourist destination, um, and, and they're doing big things over there. And of course, you know, all the COVID protocol and that sort of thing, man, makes you really, really feel safe while you're there. Um, but I'm happy to be back. Definitely happy to be with my wife and kid. Uh, even though I did have to leave for a couple of days, uh, but that's how it goes. But uh, happy, happy to be back in the family, sleeping in my own bed, and uh, yeah, I imagine we'll be there again late January, early February. Uh, such as such as the way it is, and man, I would not be surprised to hear that there's an expansion of this, you know, partnership that's already in place. Is uh, you know, Oscar Willis and I were kind of speculating um, offline, and again, this is no no credible reports, nothing mentioned like this. Um, but I mean, can you see like, you know, whether it be inter- international fight week, I mean, they, uh, the last time they called it Abu Dhabi showdown week, I believe they called it, but you know, doing something like that, you know, a big event every year, they're contracted for that. But you know, what if you expand that to a month, you know, what if you do two pay-per-views with two fight nights in between or, or who knows, you know, I'm, I i do not know. I just, it seems like, you know, the UFC and, and the Abu Dhabi government are going to continue to work together and try to expand the partnership. So I would not be surprised to see bigger things going forward and, and more than just that one annual event. Um, it seems to be a home run for all parties involved. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, man, the, the discussion coming out of UFC 254 continues to be this ongoing debate, right? Is Habib Nurmagomedov the greatest of all time? And, you know, I, I initially I saw – 
it, to me, it seemed like everybody was jumping on the boat right away. Habib is absolutely the goat. Habib is absolutely the goat. And um, you know, there's a thing called recency bias. And you know, my good friend Alex Davis, he talks about it a lot, and and he talks about it in a lot of context. Um, you know, even even judging in a round, you know, what you see last is the thing that you remember most. You know, that's kind of what the recency bias gives you. What you what you remember most recently is what you put most weight into. And so I understand, man, when you're coming off the high, that incredible performance by Habib Nurmagomedov, I understand immediately why you go, yep. That guy's number one pound for pound all time, and then you you know he's the, he's the greatest of all time, and then you add in that that stellar record twenty nine and zero. I mean the guy's never been beaten right. He never had an off night. He never had um, a, a slip up even the way of John Jones right. I mean John Jones for all intents and purposes absolutely should be undefeated. I mean that's it's not like that's a real argument to be had or a controversial statement. Um, I don't want to you know bag on Steve Mazzagatti, but I, I, I always thought that decision was a little bit suspect, and, and you know, maybe maybe those elbows, maybe one or two of them was illegal, but I, I don't know, man, it seemed like a, a silly way to to end a fight, and to DQ and all, I, I don't know, man, I never, I never loved that call, and again, we're not trying to trash the guy, but I, I don't think many people support that, that disqualification back in the day, so John Jones should be there, but Hey, Habib never had one of those nights, right? Habib never had a night where uh, he did something wrong and, you know, he got caught for something. He never had a situation where, uh, you know, a TKO loss to a cut. You know, think of, uh, of, of Fedor Emelianenko back in the day and, and, you know, a cut causing a loss. You know, he never had anything like that. Um, he he won every single time out and, and, and lost very few rounds. Lost very few rounds. So I understand why immediately people would say, yeah, no, no question about it, he's the GOAT. But what I do like is that it feels like over the course of a week, things are settling into more what I believe, and that is that Habib is not the greatest of all time. Now, he is unquestionably the number one pound-for-pound fighter on the planet right now, at this moment. Now, if you say, well, he's retired, okay, but you know, we usually give a little bit of a grace period, right? Especially in MMA, these retirements don't necessarily stick, they, they're in and out. So you give it a little bit of grace period. And that's what we did with the MMA Junkie Rankings, USA Day Sports MMA Junkie Rankings that uh, Gorgeous George Garcia is the head of, and, and him and I collaborate on a lot of it. And we, we, we collaborate as a whole as a team, but I, th- I feel like him and I work most directly on it. Um, and that's what we did. We put him at number one. You know, I think we – I personally don't think Habib is in a rush to come back or this is one of those fake retirements. Uh, you know, I'm not ruling it out ever. You know, situations change, families change. We know he's making a promise to his mom, so that's one reason that I do. I mean, you, you saw the emotion that was outpouring from him, and, and you know what a man of, of morals and a man of character that he truly is. So I do I do believe this is a, a sincere uh, retirement and not just a contract ploy. You know, when, when Henry Cejudo called it quits, I think we all looked around and thought, oh, that dude just wants a bigger contract, right? That's not what I'm thinking here. Um Habib is the highest paid fighter in the game. Highest paid fighter in the game. That's a fact. That's a fact. Highest paid fighter in the game. He's got a lot of money. And he's connected to a lot of really wealthy, really powerful individuals. He does not need money. The dude is an absolute superstar and he's well connected in all the right places. He is good. And of course, the loss of his father. I mean, that's that was his... That was more than just his mentor and coach. I mean, that was everything, right? That was 
everything all in one, your your head coach, your mentor, your your best friend, your father, all those things in one. And I don't think he wants to go on without him. So I believe this is a sincere retirement. And you know, listen, he, he you know, he doesn't want to come back and deal with um Connor McGregor and all those antics and all the controversy. He doesn't want to deal with that. He he just doesn't. So anyway, could go on for that for a while. Maybe he'll prove me wrong and come back next week, but I believe this one more than most. But we went ahead and put him at number one pound for pound, and I believe it. And the reason I believe he deserves number one pound for pound right now is because of the way he's dispatching of his opponents. You know, you think about John Jones and his lengthy dominance, but he's had some he's had some close calls, right? I mean, Dominic Reyes, a lot of people, a lot of people scored that the other way. You know, Mahetta, a lot of people scored that the other way. I scored both of them for John Jones, but I certainly don't. Uh, begrudge the people that that scored it against him. So, um, so for me, Habib's dominance over the elite level competition in his division qualifies him as number one pound for pound right now. But to me, in terms of greatest of all time, now you're talking sustained, continued dominance over a division. And that's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of people jumping around all the time. That's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of people right away wanting to move to another weight class, right away looking for a super fight. You know, I think you need continued, sustained dominance over a division. And and John Jones fits that to a T. That, that to me, is why John Jones is the greatest of all time. Now, there's, there's other arguments made. You can't have the conversation without George St. Pierre being in there. You can't have the conversation without Demetrius Johnson being in there. And honestly, you probably can't have the conversation without Habib Nurmagomedov being in there. But to me, it's John Jones. You know, now how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole of can you, can you include anybody that has failed PED tests on there as well? I mean, because now you start talking about uh, precluding Anderson Silva from being on there, precluding... John Jones from being on there, um, and that's 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 a that's a different discussion entirely. But for me, just talking about the greatest of all time, with all respect to beating Nurmagomedov, I think he was well on his way to being there. I think a couple more wins, three, four, five more wins, clean out the division. You know, go ahead and <laughs> I hate to say Tony Ferguson because I don't know if it would happen. You know, but but Tony Ferguson, you know, had had they been able to put that George St. Pierre super fight together, even though I know. It's uh, you know a late-stage career, George St. Pierre. I just feel like Habib needed a few more wins, a little bit more lengthy dominance. I mean, he rattles off a few more wins o- over top contenders like that. You know, maybe does end his career with a fight against Usman or or something like that. You know, do, do a little something extra to put that extra little exclamation point on the end of it. But sustained dominance over a, um, a division for a lengthy period of time, that to me is GOAT status. So I feel like that's the more common opinion now, a week later. I don't feel like it was the, the, the opinion, you know, a day later. Um, but I think it's the right opinion to me. You know, everybody's entitled to That's the other thing about this one is when you start getting to an argument about pound for pound, don't get too involved in the argument, all right? You know, when you're talking about greatest of all time and divisions and you're in and pound for pound and all this, it's man, it's 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 just a, it's an argument that's fun, if anything else. Don't get too heated and don't try to tell somebody is right and wrong. I mean, it's like uh well, I'm not even gonna say it because that'll just get the whole nother thing started. Oh, okay, I was gonna say like, you know, you have the argument of like Jordan versus Kobe versus LeBron and you know it's like come on man I mean you're 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 splitting hairs with the best of the best and the greatest of all time I think in 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 many ways it just boils down to kind of what you 
deem as the greatest of all time, you know? So, in fact, and we'll talk about it a little bit in a moment, but, you know, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, prime era Anderson Silva, how can you not say greatest of all time? I mean, the dude was unbelievable. And and is still a great fighter. It's just that, you know, he's 45 years old at this point. His best days are behind him. And the, the, his, his game, um, you know, people caught up to his game. And, of course, you know, his game was so much about speed and timing and reaction and that sort of thing. And, you know... Not that he's slow and terrible out there, but maybe he's not quite what what he what he once was, and so because of that he suffered a lot of losses. And so now, if you look at his career as a whole, you don't know that it necessarily holds up. Fedor Emelianenko similar in a lot of ways, right? I mean, at a time, and honestly, Fedor is a guy that probably deserves to be in the discussion as well, certainly for greatest heavyweight of all time. Um, but you, when you had those losses late in your career, you know how does that affect your 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 performance. I mean, how does that affect your your career as a whole when it's evaluated? That's debatable too, right? Because you know the runs of Fedor Emelianenko, the runs of Anderson Silva, unbelievable. But then they kind of ruined them a little bit in the end. And I hate to say that because they deserve to make that money. You know, it's that's the the the, the sad thing about this sport, I guess, is that. You know, you're at your highest in as as an, as a rule. If you know, if you're at the top of the arc, you know, before you start that arc down, you're making the most money you ever had. You're at your highest earning potential ever. And so when people say, "Ah, yeah," but you need to know when to walk away. Well, hold on, I'm making more money right now than I ever have, and I'm trying to set up my family. I'm trying to I'm trying to you know pave my way forward. So it's easy to see why people hang on too long. And sure the glory is a part of it. You know, you talk about fighters that can't 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 pick the right time to go away. You know, of course a huge part of it is the adrenaline that comes along with with what they do. I mean, being in the limelight, being that star, being, you know, the center of attention in a crowded arena of people cheering your name. That's huge, man. That's toxic. And then for, for, for most of these guys and gals, just the competition nature of it, right? Like, that's all they've ever done. I mean, it's mono e mono competition. And where, where are you going to get that? I mean, how are you going to get the, 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 the drive of what it takes to be successful in a professional cage fight anywhere else? I mean, so those are all kind of psychological and emotional aspects of it. But don't forget the other reason it's really hard to walk away from the sport at an applicable time is because you're generally at your highest earning potential as you're starting to fade away. You know, you've got that big contract. You've, you've, you've got what you've worked for. And now it's like, well, hold on. I can, you know, I, I can quit right now and ensure that I don't damage my legacy, which legacy probably does mean something in terms of future business opportunities and future... I don't know, bookings as a motivational speaker or something like that. I mean, there's something to be said for that. But if it's like, well, I mean, think about this. Put yourself in this position. You know that you can go out there against a fight that if you're being honest with yourself, you're probably going to lose. You can admit that to yourself, which I'll be honest with you, most of these guys and gals can't. And they shouldn't. You have to be almost arrogant in in your self-belief to be successful in this sport. But you know for a fact that you know you, you, you're you're willing to admit to yourself that you're probably going to lose, but you're going to make 
two million dollars, three million dollars, maybe more, depending on who you are. I mean, is your legacy worth that to you in terms of real hard money? Is your is your is your legacy, your reputation? I mean, does your reputation pay for your kid's college? <laughs> does your does your reputation ensure that you know you don't have to get that post career job? I mean, not everybody can be an analyst. You know, the, the, what was the fallback position for so long? Gyms. I own a gym. I run a gym. Gyms are closed right now. How many gyms in this country, hell, in the world right now, are, are, are probably going to have to shut down because they were independently held and you know somebody can't afford to fund them? So, um, it's 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 tough to walk away, man. It, it's tough to walk away. And so when you start talking about greatest of all time. And, and it's hard, man, because exactly how do you evaluate? So that's what I say. Don't get too caught up in it, but I still think it's the right opinion. <laughs> I think it's the right opinion. Uh, all right, a lot of MMA this week, man. ton of MMA this week, which is awesome, man. We're getting the schedule going again. Like I said, I'm here for CFFC. Bellator is tonight. Uh, man, Bellator, whew, by the way, suffered some losses uh, to the cards, at some uh, day of losses uh, with COVID-19. And, boy, that's the – um. I love Bellator moving to Thursday nights, if I'm if I'm being honest. It looks like that's kind of their position moving forward. Bellator on Thursday nights, and I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it, because it means less head-to-head nights uh, for the UFC and Bellator. And I think that's good for them, um, because I think f- most times they're going to lose that battle. And this is an opportunity for them to get more eyeballs, and I think that's smart. And as, as an MMA fan, man, I love having – I would rather have – and I get it, man. I know the, the saturation argument, the too much argument, and that's I get that. But nobody's telling you you have to watch every single fight. I mean, I don't think there's – I mean, there's baseball fans that may watch all 162 games for one team, but they don't watch all 162 games for every team in the league. So you don't have to watch everything. But I would much rather there be, like, one option a night, you know, that if I can fit it in my schedule, I will. Or if I can record it and watch some highlights, I will. Versus, you know, every single event is on Friday or Saturday um, when, you know – Hopefully your life has other social options as well, and you got to pick and choose. So I love it on Thursday night. Um, I will say this though, I have no idea how we're how we're going to talk about Bellator on the podcast. I mean, typically we're pretty strong into UFC anyway, just because that's normally what I'm covering when I'm on the road. I mean, I'll I'll cover we've we've definitely covered our share of Bellator events, but generally speaking, uh, it's been UFC, especially right now. You know, when the UFC's in. Uh, in our backyard in Vegas, and that's pretty much all we're covering. So I feel bad. I don't know how we're going to work this out moving forward for, for Bellator runs. Even once, you know, the world gets back to normal and we're covering on site, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. I don't know if we do like a a post-fight podcast, basically. So that way it's kind of a and a half, but not really an and a half. It's uh, just a normal episode, but we're talking about Bellator. I don't know. So if you got any thoughts or suggestions on what the hell we should do with that, because I don't want to just completely ignore Bellator. Tonight's main event is incredible. Douglas Lima versus Gegard Mousasi. Vacant middleweight title on the line. Uh, of course, Lovato had to uh, retire, unfortunately, with his uh, with his with his health issues, and so put the belt up for grabs. Lima's looking for that champ champ status. Uh, it's a good fight, man. It's a really really good fight, and uh, I, I, it'll probably be going on while we're on the air tonight. So I'll probably have to catch it in replay, but. Uh, I definitely will will catch it, man. It's uh, it's a good one. So, but we're not really gonna be able to talk about it much. Um, but Bellator is doing some good things, man. I I really do. You know, they've had to had to go on hold for a little bit. Um, 
you know, one of the big stories this past week was that Bellator um, essentially released, you know, 30 fighters. Um, and they kind of did, but kind of didn't. And so I, I, I want I want to kind of address that a little bit because they definitely didn't cut all of these people. A lot of them were situations where um, contracts expired. And they essentially said, we're not going to uh, renew them for right now. Now, I talked to a couple fighters that were affected by this or that were a part of this. I knew that something like this was coming. I didn't realize how widespread it was. I didn't realize it was affecting the number of people it was. But um, if, if you saw this news and thought, what the hell are they doing cutting all these people, man? What are they doing? I, I, I want to give you some business things to, to think about. And that is, um, first of all, a lot of these contracts were fighters that um, were looking for other opportunities anyway. You know, Bellator was on hold for months and months and months. And people were looking for other opportunities and, and ways to make money and, and uh, other places they could sign and that sort of thing. And so some of these folks, I wouldn't say negotiated their release, but were kind of like, hey, if you don't mind... You know my contract's up, and technically you're in default because you owed me a fight, but you haven't been you haven't been holding fights, so I'm sure I can't legally enforce that because uh, they have a, a policy called force majeure, which basically means um, you know acts of God and things that nobody could anticipate. It. You can't you can't hold us to that. So there were a couple of those in here where people were just like, look, eh, why don't we just call it even? You know, we we won't try to please don't extend my contract further. And I won't make it a big deal that you didn't give me the number of fights that you promised me you should. And we'll go our separate ways, and, and that's that. So that's that was a handful of them. The other thing, too, is, and this this happened in the UFC a, a couple of times over the years, um, less so now that they're scrambling for bodies with COVID-19. That's not really anything that we talked about before. But, you know, there were multiple situations like this over the years where guys' contracts would run out, and the UFC simply wouldn't offer a renewal. Now, it didn't necessarily mean that they weren't interested in re-signing the athlete. It didn't necessarily mean that the, the athlete wouldn't get a new deal. It's just that if I give you a deal right now, then instantly the clock starts ticking, basically. You know, you're, you're signed for a certain amount of months and are promised a certain amount of fights. And if I don't give you that many, and you, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard Dana talk about this over the years. You know, the matchmakers can't talk publicly, but, but Dana's mentioned it, and he'll say, you know, I have to give you X number of fights over X number of months, or I'm in default of your contract. So that's the thing, is that if if you sign somebody to a new deal, instantly that clock starts. So the clock that we were just talking about, you know, running out on some, you just don't want to start it on others. So you just don't offer them a deal. And it doesn't mean that you wouldn't like to offer them a deal at some point. Now, of course, it does allow them to go seek contracts elsewhere. And if they seek a contract elsewhere and find it, well, that's that. You know, they're out. Um, but in some of these situations, I, I think the, that Bellator especially, given what's going on now, was just being kind of prudent in their decision-making and saying, I'm not going to start the clock on your contract when we're still scrambling to catch up for all the months that we missed. And that's what they're trying to do right now. Make no mistake about it, man. They have got contracts to catch up on and they got to get caught up so they don't fall in default because then when you fall in default now you end up paying for fights that you're not even putting on because you owe people money so i think that was a big situation as well now some of those were legitimate releases cuts 
um, which I think is a good thing, man. The Bellator is, you know, we've talked about it for years if you've been listening to, to the Roadshow for a long time. Bellator has done a phenomenal job of building up young talent. You know, they're taking chances on people. They're signing O&O people or 1-0 people because they know they need to. They know they need to get people early because, and I mean this is no disrespect, but there's nobody in a gym right now, you know, no 14-year-old kid training right now saying one day I'm going to be Bellator champion. They're just not. And that's no disrespect to the Bellator brand, but the UFC brand is the top brand. That 14-year-old kid that's in there saying that they're going to do this for a living, they're saying I'm going to be a UFC champion. Now, then you get to this, you, you get to the time where you've put in the hours and you're ready to turn pro and you know you start out on the regional level and that sort of thing, but maybe you're one of these, you know, phenom type you know, Aaron Pico type prospects, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously there's numerous others as well. When you talk about, you know, the, the specialists, um, the, the, the Dylan Danises of the world, the AJ Agazarms of the world, you know, um, I, you know, I, I guess you could even maybe throw MVP, although, you know, not anymore, of course, but originally speaking, you know, Bellator will take chances on those guys because they want to create some brand loyalty early on. You know, they want to not get a fighter to change their dreams, but but that becomes reality, right? Like, there comes a time when it's like, well, I can chase that dream I had of being a UFC champ, or Bellator's paying me pretty damn good right now. Maybe I'll just stay where I'm at, you know, which is, you know, look at what Michael Chandler did for years and years and years. You know, and finally he did say, no, I can't, I can't live with myself if I don't go to the UFC. But, but there is that path. So... Bellator's done a good job of developing these these young athletes, but now they got to start putting some some stock in them, right? They got they got to start, uh, you know, pushing them up to the top. You can't have them just as prelim fillers forever. You got to start putting them in more featured slots. And as it looks right now, it looks like these, you know, the, the first couple CBS Sports main cards that we've had since they made the transition are like three fight main cards. So so now you've even got less kind of of those featured roles to go with. So. You know, at that point, now you say, all right, you know, some of these veterans that have been around for a while, I think we, you know, we like them, but I, I think we've seen their upside. Let's, uh, you know, let's transition to these others. So, to me, I, I, I saw a lot of criticism of Bellator for these moves. I thought they were wise. When you factor in everything we just talked about in terms of logic and reasoning and why they made these moves, to be honest with you, man, I thought these were very, very prudent, very smart business decisions for Bellator and uh it's good times for them man hopefully these Thursday night slots will give them a little bit more um a little bit more spotlight I guess just a little bit more time on their own you know uh you know it, it, does it necessarily mean they're gonna have a tenfold increase in viewership because they move off of Fridays and they move off of Saturdays no but at least they got a night that's more to their own right now at least you know you're not being forced to make a decision between which fight do I want to watch? I mean, man, Lima versus Musasi is probably the, the the biggest fight of the week in in the world of MMA right now, the most consequential, the the the, the, the you know the top ranked. It's, it's it's probably this fight. I mean, that's certainly arguments can be made, but at least it's not now going to have to go head to head with the brand that is the UFC, the brand that he is ESPN. You know, they get their own little their own little night here. So, um, 
I dig it, man. I like, I'll be honest with you. I like the move. You got you got Jake Hager on there, of course. Uh, you know, people he he's drawing some headlines as well as always. The the wrestling superstar there. Uh, shame that we had some of the fallouts that we did. Um, Adam Borch is on there. Uh, I, I think he's a talented kid that you still want to keep an eye on as well. So uh, Henry Corrales and Brandon Gertz should be fireworks. Um, <coughs> maybe it's maybe. <laughs> Speaking of Brandon Kurtz, man, I'm assuming by now, if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen uh, what Nolan King shot on video. Of course, Nolan King's been our man in the bubble out there in Bellator. Uh, as long as they're doing this Mohegan Sun, Uncasville, Connecticut fight sphere, I think you know Nolan's going to kind of be the fixture there, man. He's he's uh, making the drive down from Boston, kind of being uh, MMA, junk, MMA junkies guy in the bubble. Um which is funny because he's had to take a crash course. He's he's in that spot that we all were. You know, he was a he was a, a writer, and now he's having to learn how to take pictures and shoot video and do all that stuff. But he did a good job of shooting this in, interaction the other day with Brandon Gertz and Mike Mazzulli, the head of the Mohegan Sun uh, Commission out there that oversees Bellator events, and 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 so he's overseeing all the events right now. And he also oversees the international. They basically contract him to go in, in the way that the UFC uses Mark Ratner and kind of an, an internal um, body of people to be their own commission. Bellator, you know, doesn't have the, the, those number of people available, so they kind of third-party out to, to the Mohegan Sun Commission. And Mike Mazzulli is, is very much a respected um, regulator in terms of a trustworthy individual and, and cares about fighter safety and all that. Um, but this interaction was just incredibly inappropriate. And, and I feel bad because it's spending too much time on this, but if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. There's a story about it on the website. It was also a huge, um, hugely viewed social media post on MMA Junkie. But um, Mike Mazzulli basically tells Brandon Gertz he's, um, he's made weight and, and then says he hasn't by, by an extra quarter of a pound and that he needs to take off his uh, pants and, so, you know, Gertz is like, you know, he's pretty pissed and he's agitated. He's cutting weight. Um, so he's like, I'll just take my pants off right here. And it's like, no, you need to wait until we get the towel out, which is true. Um, you know, we're not trying to not trying to have these weigh-in streams and public nudity and all that stuff. Um, but then he, he goes on to say, you know, th- that he's acting like a tool um, and that the, it's, the reason he's doing that is he's cutting too much weight. And, and I feel bad focusing too much on this because um, – Mike Mazzulli, by by all reports, has apologized to Brandon Kurtz for his behavior, but he was very, 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 very much out of line. Um, but he's apologized for it, and so I always say, you know, like don't don't you know crush a guy too bad, you know, if they're if they're willing to say, hey, that's on me, I was wrong, uh, and he's done that. But it's just, and and I, I want to give the guy kind of a pass too. I mean. Like I said, he's doing a ton of events, man. He's 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 been the guy in the bubble as well. So you know maybe there's some extra stress on him, and um, who knows, you know what all factored into that. Um, but it, it but it was over the top, man. It was too much, and it just bugs me when I see that in the sport in terms of of ego in in the regulators. You know what I mean? It, it, the regulators are are doing their job, and they should not be. They should be treated with respect as well. People should not be disrespecting officials. People should not be disrespecting commission reps. People should not be disrespecting uh, the inspectors. None of those things. I mean, they should be treated with respect, but they got to give it too. And, you know, you certainly don't need to be talking to a fighter. like I, I cannot imagine any reason, to be honest, that you would talk to a fighter like that. 
you have to be, if you're the regulator, if you're the overseeing body, you have to be above it. You know what I mean? Even if even if you think the fighter is being absolutely egregious in their behavior, you have got to be above it because you are the regulating body. You are the authority. And you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And especially when we're talking about cutting weight. I mean, come on. Anybody that's been around sport for any length of time knows how agitated fighters get when it comes to, to, to weight cutting. So you've got to add in a little bit of an extra piece of understanding right and 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 it wasn't there and so um i i just hope people see this and commissioners and commission reps will see this and again not to bag on mike mazuli because he is a respected regulator but i hope that other regulators will see this and and you and utilize it almost as an example of what not to do <laughs> of you know if you're training an inspector or you're training uh, somebody in, in how to handle that you show them this and go whatever you do make sure you don't do this because <laughs> it's not right and then and then that's when that's when you start losing faith in in the regulation system and, and, and I know that we already question judges and question referees and, and question all that and, and, and I get it but for the most part these are dedicated committed people that are passionate about the sport and that want to get it right and that of course make mistakes and of course make errors like any human being would, but you know that their intentions are right and that they are um, trying to do the best they can. And when you know that, then I think you can have a little bit more patience for for human error. But when somebody's acting like this, you know, now all of a sudden, when you have a bad judge's decision or a bad referee's decision or, or whatever it may be. Then you start just going, ah, what does this commission even know? Look at the way they behave, corruption, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You just start throwing all that stuff out there. And so that's why you have to be your, – your, your attitude and, and your communication has to be beyond reproach. And um, I, I don't want this to be a personal attack on Mike, but what I do hope is that it's a, um, an example of an incident of what not to do and the other regulators make sure that stuff like this – never ever ever happens again because it just doesn't make any damn sense whatsoever so um all right bellator 250 by the time you listen to this it'll probably be over but if for whatever reason this gets out a little early make sure you tune in uh hey well, how about this mma junkie will have full post fight coverage of all that nolan king is out there uh and and we'll have full post fight coverage from out there from from the fight sphere in Uncasville, Connecticut. Meanwhile, back in Las Vegas, Cold Coffee will be covering UFC on ESPN Plus 39. Uh, as I said, I will not be covering it, but I will certainly be watching it. This is a um, a sneaky good card, man. I think it's a sneaky good card. I really do uh, like this uh, and, and some of the storylines and some of the athletes that are on here. And, of course, it starts at the top with Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva in what appears to be Anderson Silva's retirement fight. Now, I... How to say this? You'd notice that Anderson has said my final fight in the UFC. Um, I think he's been careful to say that, not my final fight. Um, but my understanding is he has two fights left on his UFC deal. So that means that if he's done here, um, he can't just go fight somewhere else without the UFC's blessing. He, he can't just go, well, I'm done with that, you know, finished up, good to go. Um, 
you know, how mutual that is, I don't know. I mean, he signed a damn 10-fight deal. <laughs> uh, I think we all thought he, he would finish up there. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll fight again someday. But I am may, – maybe he'll go box. I don't know. Maybe, maybe – maybe, I, I don't know. At 45 years old, I know he wants to continue competing. Um, but maybe this will be it for him. But anyway um, – We'll talk about him in a second. I, I want to start with Uriah Hall uh, because Uriah Hall um, now training with Fortis MMA. Of course, love my love my dudes out there in my hometown, Dallas, Texas. Always say salute and uh, the the team out there doing good things, representing that Texas MMA. Appreciate that. And, and Uriah Hall, man, I think he, it's probably a good fit for him out there. You know, he was a longtime guy in Vegas forever, um, but but training out there now, and you know, that, maybe that family structure will do wonders for him. But I gotta say. The virtual media day that he did, it is either one of the greatest or worst virtual media days of all time. He hated it. And I have, you know, spoken probably more at length than I want to about how difficult these virtual media days are on the athletes. And, you know, I don't want to say tough for the journalists, but doesn't necessarily give us the greatest content of all time. Um, Just because the situation kind of sucks for the athlete. But man, Uriah Hall hated it. He hated it. So uh, even though I'm on vacation this week and took a couple of days off, so I didn't do any interviews. Between the time I left Fight Island and and, and before I got here, uh, I didn't do any interviews because I was just uh, I, I was just spending time with family. Like I said, my dad, my stepmom, my wife, and kid. Uh, so I don't normally like to share virtual media day interviews because I said I don't think they're very enticing. Um, but this one to me. Uh, I watched it uh, on the plane ride over uh, here, and I really liked it. So I'm going to play that. Here's uh, here's Uriah Hall. We now welcome the number 10 ranked UFC middleweight contender in the world, Uriah Hall. Uriah, thank you for the time, sir. We will take the first set of questions from Gabriel Gonzalez with Cage Side Press. So even though they can't see me, I got to... No, no, they can see you from this. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Well, Uriah, first off, I imagine it's not easy... The guy who's at the spoil the last night of Anderson Silva. Can you just talk about separating all that and just being able to go out there and do your job to win the fight? What? Say that again? What? How do you separate all of the talk of, you know, spoiling the last night of Anderson and just go out there and do your job to win? By not listening to the media. You've had a bunch of fights scrapped. Amidst the pandemic, can you describe the relief to finally be about to go back out there? I didn't mind the pandemic too much. I uh, went into isolation, hang out at my gym. Didn't hang out with a lot of people. I think it was a blessing in disguise. Can you just talk about a little bit, just making the readjustment? You know, you were so close to getting the fight with Romero. You were on the last, you know, pretty much the last stretch to fight Jacare in May. Just having to start another camp time this is so fucking weird man what the fuck i can't do this can i look at the screen or something or who the fuck am i talking to this is so weird on the screen it just it just shows you what yeah, the fuck really this is so that. fucking weird all right what's the question uh, hello repeat the question yeah repeat the question please just what was it like having to restart so many camps this year with Jacare and Romero, now this one? Um, it was fine, man. Uh, I went into camp. Um, I've been training since last year, November. So 
right before the pandemic got out of hand, I was in Dallas, Airbnb, staying already, just staying ready. And uh, we, we got the call for our first flight. We went into camp. Um, yeah, it was devastating, but as a martial artist, you know, our job is to stay ready, stay prepared. So that's it. You know, you, you just stay ready. That's, that's the whole key factor. Thank you. We will take our next set of questions from Danny Segura with MMA Junkie. Obviously, this is a, a very big fight, but you fought some of the biggest names at 185 pounds uh, before. Um, how would you grade this fight? Do you think this is the biggest fight of your career with Anderson Silva? Uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the biggest fights. Um, Anderson Silva is a legend, so uh, I'm just excited to go out there and uh, go up against the guy that I watched growing up. You know, To me, I made it. That's how you got to look at it. For sure. And uh, right now, Adesanya doesn't really have a, a clear uh, next title challenger. You're obviously on a nice... A two-fight win streak. Do you think uh, an impressive showing against Anderson Silva could put you in that mix? Yeah, uh, Alessandro is picking his fight, man. He he sees what he sees the hole in all these guys, and he's already picking Camnier. He's looking for easy fights. Yeah, I said it. So he, I know why he's picking certain fights, but I'm dynamic, and especially with the gym that I'm at right now, I'm focused, laser focused. So it's a matter of time, you know. I'm just gonna play the politic card and just. Whoever the UFC needs me to beat, and or whoever the UFC thinks can beat me, and uh, get to the top. Yeah. In your opinion, um, I guess what do you think uh, other adversaries that have fought Adesanya are missing to to beat him? What's the key to dethrone the champ? I'm not gonna tell you that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you just mentioned that uh, you know you you saw Anderson Silva, um, you know, as you were cleaning up. Uh, if you could describe him in, in one word, what would it be and why? Uh, he's just fluent, man. The way he moves, the way he fights, you know, he's in the moment. And a lot of people don't really understand that dynamic. That's why he says he doesn't care about the whole fighting thing. It's not about fighting. Uh, people can't understand that concept because it's the moment when you're in there letting go. It's like training. You have to let go. But the problem with that is, you know, when you have refs that don't know their job right or judges who aren't educated properly, it takes a risk factor in there and then you're more worried. So you can't really let go, but you can just go out there and fight someone. It's kind of hard to explain, but I know exactly what he's talking about in the martial arts world, because that's all you have in that moment. Those five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, that's all you really have to really express yourself. So I get where he's coming from. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Good luck on, on Saturday. Thank you. We will take our next questions from Bruno Carvalho with UOL. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good. What's going on? I'm good, too. Uh, all right. Uh, what means to you fight uh, against Anderson Silva and probably his last fight? Uh, it's a fight, man. It's just, it's work. You, you just show up to work and you do your job and you get out. That's it. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's a legend and I respect him, but it's a fight. There's no, we all look at him in awe and all that, but it's a fight. There's no, what else do you want me to say? It's a fight. It's like you show up for work, it's work, right? And you do your job and you get out, that's it. Okay, and both of you has a, a fight style very similar. So do you prepare something different to fight against him? Well, I'm not gonna tell you that, but. <laughs> What kind of question are these, man? 
Um, you just have fun, man. Just squash what happens on Saturday. Okay, thanks. And the last two guys I had that gave interview were awesome. <laughs> we'll take the uh, next questions from James Conlon with RCB Radio Sport Ireland. James, please go ahead. Okay, we will take our next questions from Sue McDonough with Sports Kita. Hey, Uriah. Hey, Uriah, can you hear me? Uh, so, first of all, welcome back and hope you're doing well. Thank you. And, uh, so, Israel Arasanya has been very vocal about you. He said that uh, if you stick to your basics for this fight, you'll beat Anderson Silva. And you a couple of times in the lead up to his fight against Paulo Costa. So what is your response to all that comments from the champ? <laughs> Thanks for the advice, bro. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, so obviously this is a big fight for you, given this is Anderson Silva's last fight. If you see yourself, where do you see yourself with the win? And what would be your goals be from there on? Where do I see myself with the win and what would be my goal from there on? Yes, uh, with the win over Silva this week. Um, leverage. Uh, hopefully, you know, listen, I want the champ. That's it. I just get the sport. I see where it's going. I want the Give me the champ. That's it. Uh, last question for me. Uh, your coach said that you're ready to play the villain in Anderson Silva's retirement fight. What are your predictions for this fight? And... How do you plan on spoiling his retirement? You said play the villain? Yeah, your coach mentioned that. I don't know, take him out. I mean, my game plan is to win. Uh, just go out there and win, man. That's it. That's it. Well, uh, thank you so much and good luck for the fight, sir. Thank you. Who comes up with these questions? We will take our next questions from Cote Cruz with the Four to Win podcast. Oh, sorry, he dropped out. We will take our next questions from Pablo Santa Maria with Noti MMA Ecuador. Ecuador. Hey, Raya, can you hear me? Arriba la raza. Oh, that's Mexico. What's up, man? Uh, okay, the first thing I want to ask you is if at some point did you feel frustrated when uh, Jacarea and Joel withdraw from the fights? I couldn't feel frustrated for Jacare because COVID happened, but you know, I wished him well. Uh, you well, on the other hand, I kind of knew, I, I have a really 99.9% .9 feeling that it was because John Jones was leaving and they had the same manager and he wanted to get out of the, the fight with me by coming up with some BS shit about his eye. And, you know, 205 for him might be a lot easy. We seen him struggle to make 85. So that was his way out, you know? They have the same manager. It was like, all right, man, John's about to lose and leave the division in a few months, you know? Uh, why don't you just get out of it this way? You don't have to hurt your career. That's what I think. That was more frustrating than um, Jacques Array. Jacques Array happened. It sucked. I wished him well. But I think you all just, um, yeah. I get it. I do you face any difficulties uh, training in under these COVID situations? It was hard finding some a uh, uh, training partners without, or do you have all the under control in your I gym? Control. I got to control. 
<laughs> okay, so you want to elaborate on that? I mean, uh, Joel is no, okay, uh, so it was okay. Uh, Joel was a ranked fighter, and when they offer you Anderson Silva, you doped or you said yes without a doubt. You said doped? Dope uh, about your rival because you obviously was going to face Joel Romero, who is a ranked fighter, and Anderson oh, okay. is not on the rank. So you're saying if it made sense to take Anderson uh -huh. well because he's not ranked. Um, both guys have a name. Both guys have a reputation. Uh, personally, for me, Anderson has been someone I've idolized for years. So to me, that's a trophy fight. It's a championship fight to me in my mind. Um, I personally felt I made it. It could have went great for me. It can go great for me either way. I mean, if we're going to talk politics, uh, a win over OL will put me in a title contingency. Um, a win over Anderson Silva would, I don't know, reclaim something, puts me in with the top five maybe. But either way, it's, it's beneficial. Okay, I get it. Uh, thank you very much, Raya, and good luck on your fight. Thank you. And we will take our last set of questions from Ezekiel Berganzi with Somos MMA. Hey, Uriah, how are you? Hey, what's up, man? A lot oh. of Spanish and Brazilians. <laughs> how, how do you feel knowing that this fight could uh, put you on the UFC spotlight if you got a, a very outstanding finish against Anderson Silva, who is probably in his last fight on his career on or in the UFC. How would I feel if a win over Anderson would put me on the spotlight with the UFC? Yes, if you got an outstanding finish against Anderson Silva, do you think that the UFC could put you on a spotlight in the middleweight division? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, well, listen, I'm not going to sit here and say the UFC plays favoritism. The way the UFC works, if you do a good job, if you go out there and you talk some shit, if you beat motherfuckers ass fashionably, you're somebody. I'm not going to leave it up to the UFC to do that. You know, I'm going to go out there and do what I'm supposed to do. And whatever happens, happens. I know my goals. I know what I'm going to do. I'm not waiting for them to make a decision for me. I'm going to use the opportunity that I have, which is to go up against my opponent and um, my my goal, the same way his goal is to win, is to win. That's it. And after that, you know, I'm looking to gain the top five, uh, whoever's in the top five, because I'm, my ultimate goal right now is to fight the champ. I just want the champ. That's it. And do you think that if you beat Anderson, you need a, a one more fight to get a title shot against Israel Adesanya? Because everybody thought that Charles Carnier was going to get the title shot, but he was defeated uh, by Robert Whittaker. And everybody's talking about a rematch between Adesanya and Whittaker. So do you think that maybe you can have a, a title eliminator fight for getting a shot? With the way the UFC works, bro, God fucking knows what's going to happen. All I got to say is I'm just going to stay ready. A win over Anderson is always going to be a good thing. Um, Wherever it puts me, if someone gets injured, I'll be ready. If they say, hey, you need to fight this person again, I'll still be ready. If it makes sense, I'll do it. If it doesn't, of course, I'm going to try to fight it. But again, the goal remains the same is to become world champion. And do you think that 
entertain uh, in MMA entertainment is way more important than sports. And what do you think about that? Ooh. I think that entertainment draws a big audience. There's a good and bad with it. It's good because it sells the fight. You go back in time and you look at a guy like Muhammad Ali of how he sells the fight, how he's trash talking, all that stuff. You want to see him. He's entertaining. He's funny. And then he goes out there and performs his skill set, whether it's Conor McGregor or what's that, Colby dude. And yeah, it brings other people in. It brings fans like, you know, um, actors or broaden the horizon of it. The thing I don't like with that is just it, 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 it misconstrues a lot of things where a lot of people don't understand the dynamics of certain fighters where it becomes picky and choosy. It's like saying the prelims. No one fucking watches the prelims. It's like, who watches the prelims? Unless you know somebody on the prelims. So it generates favoritism. So there's a balance with it. The entertainment is good. But the problem that I have with the media and entertainment system is that, you know, no one cares anymore. It's just, let's just get the story out. We don't care what hurts. It's almost like if somebody from my team or me get tested positive for COVID, it's like, boom, let's just fucking just, you know, it's like no one gives a fuck anymore. And that's why I have a hard time with the media. I personally, genuinely hate, and hate is a powerful word, media. So I'm picking and choosing with that. But hey, I can't control it. I'm just going to do my job the best that I can. But yeah, that's it. Thank you and good luck on Saturday. Be black. Thank you so much, Uriah. That is all the time we have for you, sir. Thank God. <laughs> How uncomfortable was that in places? Oh, man. You know, the, the, I, the funny thing about Uriah Hall is um, I think he's a good dude, man. I think he definitely uh, does, you know, hate the media as he says you know he does and he always has um, but he's given me some great interviews over the years man I think um, you, you definitely have to earn his trust man I think he looks at every body in the media with um, I don't know I don't want to say with disdain but it just doesn't immediately trust you like I said you got to earn his trust it's not like hey just because you know you're you're an MMA reporter I, be, I, I believe you, you'll be responsible and do the right thing. And, I, and, I, and, man, let me say, I totally respect that approach to it. Um, because, man, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, th I, mean, I think about this, like, sometimes, man, I hate the comments section. I, and that's, that's no disrespect to the to MMA fans out there, man. Like, I, I, I wish, you know, all of the engagement in comment sections was positive and fun. I wish all the engagement – on social media was fun and, and good banter. And uh, to be honest, man, I pull back from social media because, you know, I, I, you start a discussion and then all of a sudden it just devolves into just putrid. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we all know, I think at this point, the cesspool that is the online interaction sometime. And you think about it. I mean, that's what, in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of the media coverage is right it's you know so and so said this so and so said that was it right was it wrong blah 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 so I, I get it man i understand why um athletes in general would be frustrated with the media so i i, I don't i don't hold a grudge there for uriah at all and 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 uh i don't think there's anything wrong with saying you know i don't 
I don't really just open myself up unless I trust somebody, unless I unless I find them to be a respectful person over time. I've, I've said it a million times. These these athletes do not owe us anything. They don't owe us a single thing. Um, so I'm okay with that, to be honest with you. Um, but this one was a little bit to the extreme. Um, but I've said it a million times. I mean, look, and, and, and he voiced it. You heard it. He's like, man, I can't. So they sit down and they can hear our voices, but and but they can't see the faces. So they, there's there's it's not really like a personal interaction. And then you know maybe the audio is not that good, and um, you're dealing with global media, so maybe you find the accents difficult to deal with um, and difficult to understand. Um, it's tough, man. It's a tough situation. But I thought I thought Uriah kind of blowing up there uh, was was either very entertaining or or very something anyway. I just couldn't look away from it. Uh, all right. Now a couple things though. Let's talk about his actual content. Um, I do not agree with him that Israel Adesanya is taking easy fights. Um, I don't, I guess I don't really fault Uriah for saying that. I always say that you have to be, you know, almost delusional in your confidence in yourself. And so maybe in some ways that means you've got to be delusional in what other people around you are doing. But I, I don't think Israel Adesanya is picking easy fights. And certainly it looks like he's trying to line up a fight with John Jones. You know, maybe he's going to move up to 205 and, and fight Jan Blahovic, um to make that happen. Now, okay, I could see you saying, oh, and here we go. I'm not trying to disrespect Jan Blahovic again. But um, I could see people saying that he's cherry picking, right? In the same ways that like George St. Pierre came back to fight Michael Bisping because he thought that was the easiest matchup that he could have at 205. I could see people criticizing Adesanya and saying, oh, I never heard him saying he wanted to move up to 205 until now. You know, now, now he wants to do it. Now that Jan Blahovic is champion, hold up, what's that about? I could see that. But I think that Israel Adesanya sees Jan Blahovic as a path to John Jones. And so if that's the reason you're doing it, even if you do believe it's an easier matchup, if you're trying to get to the man that I just spent, you know, some time earlier explaining to, to why I think he's the greatest of all time, um, I, I don't think that that's an issue. Um, so I don't believe Israel Adesanya is trying to take easy fights. Uh, so I'll have to I'll have to fact check. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to fact check uh, your eye on that one. But I did love when he started talking about the game and uh, when he talked about you know, talk a little trash and then beat motherfuckers up in a fashionable way. <laughs> I like that one, man. That, that one stuck out to me. That one spoke to me. And I like how engaged he was um, in the final question of, you know, is this entertainment or is this a sport, man? I thought, you know, that's the type of questions that Uriah likes to discuss. More philosophical type stuff uh, and that sort of thing. And I think that's the thing you have to remember when you're speaking to him. But I thought his, his answer there was great as well because it is – you know, it is a balance. This this is not pure sport, man. That's it's certainly not, but it's not pure entertainment either. It's it's both. Um, so I thought that was great. Um, I I picked Uriah Hall in this fight. Um, you know, chip on his shoulder or not, man. I I think this is um this is a, a lesser version of Anderson Silva, and I think the way their styles match up, especially at this point in their career, uh, Uriah Hall should be able to get this done. But Maybe Anderson Silva have a little magic. I I, I want to I do this. This, is, this will be a little weird. Um, but So another question you heard in there was um, from Danny Segura 
was, you know, how would you describe Anderson Silva in one word? Now, that's something that uh, we've been doing as a team at MMA Junkie. Uh, Simon Simano uh, asked everybody for any interviews they were doing this week to ask that question. So we've, I mean, even Nolan King out there at Bellator, he was asking the same question. Um, and so any interviews that have been done this week that anybody did, they, they collected these. So we should have a video out. Um, Abby Subban is, is working on that video. So I imagine it'll be out, um, I don't know, Friday, uh, maybe. I'm gonna get, I mean, before the fight, clearly. Um, but, you know, kind of just athletes from across the sport describing Anderson Silva. And before we talk about Anderson, I want to play one more description of it. Um, another answer that came from the same virtual media day, um, and this one coming from uh, from Bryce Mitchell, Mr. Mr. Thug Nasty himself, um, because A, I love Thug Nasty, <laughs> I've always been a Bryce Mitchell fan, but B, I thought his answer is, is so good, and it describes, again, what we were talking about, Anderson, all-time greatness versus where he stands now, and this was Bryce Mitchell's answer. Mm, I would say masterful would be the first word that came to mind. I'm sure there's a lot of other words, but uh, masterful would be the, the first word um, that I thought of just because of uh, the way that he could flow and make things that are not effortless look effortless. That takes mastery of a skill. And, uh, I mean, all of his wins look like they're easy, you know, like he wasn't even trying. But, I mean, obviously he is, but he's just that good at it that he makes winning look easy. Love that. Love that made things look easy that weren't easy. So damn true, right? When you think of peak Anderson Silva, man, you just think of him going out there and looking like he was toying with people. Looking like and 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 so relaxed and so just as Uriah mentioned, kind of in the moment, you know, and 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 making something that is incredibly difficult look incredibly easy. Um you know, Israel Adesanya gets a lot of comparisons to to Anderson um, for understandable reasons. You know, lanky frame, creative striking, that sort of thing. Um, and Adesanya has his moments. I, and I'm man, I, do I, please, I am not trying to cri- criticize Israel Adesanya, man. His greatness is not lost upon me. Um, but I don't even think he makes it look quite as easy as it, as Anderson did. And I don't know if it's if, if it's facials, you know, facial. Um, what, what am I saying? Uh, <laughs> posture? That's not right, man. Uh, just the, the, the expressions. There you go. Facial expressions. Oh, his facial expressions or like his, his body language, his posture. But like Anderson looks like in, in his prime, man, looked even more relaxed than Adesanya does out there. And uh, yeah, man, I definitely deserves to be in the conversation of greatest of all time, even though this, this last phase of his career has not been um, – Incredibly pleasant for us old schoolers like myself to watch. Um, and who knows, man, maybe he's got something special left uh, in the tank for us uh, one last night. I'm, I'm not foreseeing it going out that way. This is not a um, this is not a fairy tale kind of a sport. You know what I mean? It's just not, unfortunately. And I, I don't foresee that type of, you know, Disney moment, walk off in the sunset. But, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe he can figure something out. But... Um, I, I do think though that this is an appropriate matchup. I was talking to somebody. Uh, can't remember. I did a couple. I did do a couple of mainstream uh, radio hits uh, this week, kind of general sports type population. And somebody was asking me if they thought it was an appropriate matchup. And um, I, I do think it's an appropriate matchup. It's fun stylistically, right? Like it's it's uh, 
it's it's cool. You know, I mean, to, to see these two styles out there would be fun. I don't know that there's anything more appropriate necessarily for uh, Anderson Silva at this point in his career. So, um, you know, who else would you match him up with? So at least this is a fun kind of interesting stylistic matchup. And, uh, you know, at least maybe he's got a chance up there. So co-main event, Andre Feely versus Bryce Mitchell. Uh, we talked about uh, – we heard from Bryce Mitchell already, which was a little non-traditional to not even mention the guy's name before we get into him. This is a great fight as well, man. Andre Feely versus Bryce Mitchell. Um, you know, Andre Feely, the guy that's been around for a long time, man, proven contender. We know what he's capable of um, if this fight stays on the feet. Um, you got to think that he's got the advantage. Not that everybody's not well-rounded at this point, but you got to think he's got the advantage. Uh, meanwhile, Andre Feely has decent grappling as well, but you got to think Bryce Mitchell, if this thing's on the ground, um, Bryce Mitchell, man, he's he's on a different level uh, than Andre Feely in the grappling department. So this will be a lot of fun. Of course, it's also the debut of the camo shorts, uh, the long-pressed camouflage fight trunks that Bryce Mitchell wanted. Uh, Reebok finally came around and, and made these, which the timing is really funny, right? He's been asking for this forever. The Reebok deal is almost up. Uh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe they just said, F it. Like, <laughs> we're almost out of here anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they're just now making some custom trunks. But, you know, maybe they didn't want to do it before because they didn't want to open the floodgates. Now they're like, ah, that's somebody else's floodgates to deal with, man. We don't care. Uh, so he does have his camo shorts, as has been shown on, on – uh, uh, on social media. Um, but uh, Danny Segura asked him this question as well. I thought it was great. And, and he started talking about um, about what had happened if, if it didn't get done, how he had this whole uh, great plan for how he was going to wear them anyway, even if they weren't approved. And uh, I'm not going to play a whole the whole thing from Bryce Mitchell because we played so much Uriah Hall, but uh, I did think this was funny. Uh, so here, here's a little bit of, of Thug Nasty talking about what would have happened uh, had he not gotten his camo shorts. We will take our next set of questions from Danny Segura with MMA Junkie. Hey, Bryce. Um, back to camo shorts real quick. Were you surprised that Reebok came through because they don't really take too many requests and we've sort of seen them throughout the years just keep, uh, you know, uniform? Yeah, I was really surprised that they actually made the camo shorts and came through with the whole thing. And I think a lot of it was to do with Dana and my fans. And, uh, you know, they just couldn't deny me no more because too many people was complaining at them. And uh, I'm glad that it worked. Yeah, it, it certainly did. And when you first started campaigning, was it a, a bit of a joke or did you actually think that you could you could get it done? No, I was dead serious. I, I was wanting the camo shorts, and I was 100% going to wear them. And uh, I just figured that they weren't going to let me, so I was going to have to wear them illegally. <laughs> and, then, you know, I had this whole thing envisioned out in my head. I was going to walk out to the fight, and they was going to check me at the ring, and I was just going to go, boom, take off my sweatpants, and there's going to be camo shorts in there. And I was going to run into the cage, and there's going to be security guards trying to pull me out of the cage. And uh, then I was going to be fighting the security guards, some dudes in a red vest. And I figure if I got the first hit on one of them dudes, I could probably drop one of them. And then the other one would be putting up a good fight. And then I was hoping my cornerman would jump in because there would probably be about three more red suit dudes coming in. And so it would be kind of like a little brawl going on. And that's what I was uh, expecting would happen. And I'm really glad that uh, that didn't have to happen. I'm really glad that they gave me the camo shorts and I could do the whole thing legally because they probably would have sued me or definitely would have fired me. And I'm really glad that didn't happen. I'm just, I'm, I'm really kind of surprised that uh, 
that they got the camo shorts, but I'm happy about the whole thing. For sure, no doubt. And can you explain, fans, I guess, why is camo so important to you and, and if the significance behind it? Well, when I go into that cage, I sign a piece of paper saying, you know, I could die. And um, so I want to do so representing where I'm from and the people that I love, everything that I love. And I can't think of a better way to do it than with a, a pair of shorts that says something about me. And uh, that's what the camo shorts mean to me. They represent uh, the stuff that I love. Come on, man. How do you not love that kid? <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, listen, um, like I said, great co-main event. Really, really like that. Uh, and then you look at the rest of the main card. Uh, you know, Kevin Holland is on there. Got a late notice replacement in uh, Charlie Ontiveros. But I uh, love Kevin Holland, especially Kevin Holland fighting in the apex when you can hear every single word that's being said in there. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun in there. Uh, Moise Green versus Greg Hardy. Man, that's an intriguing matchup for me. Uh, again, I know a lot of people aren't, aren't big Greg Hardy fans. Um, but, you know, his athleticism is off the charts and, and his commitment to the sport is there. And it'll be interesting to see where he's developed. Maurice Green, more refined and, and more, um, you know, more knowledgeable, I would say, in the striking game. But I, 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 the speed, I think, is going to be a problem, man. I, I, Maurice Green, while he's tricky, he's, you know, he's, he's got some, some grappling chops as well. Um, and like I said, a more seasoned striker. Um, he's never struck me as, you know, the type of um, quick-fire athlete that Greg Hardy is, and so I think that could be uh, that could be problematic as well. And then Bobby Green versus Tiago Moises uh, opens up the main card as well. So another couple of fun fun names in there, and, and uh, of course Bobby Green when he's on point, uh, that dude is. I mean, that dude can be on another level, and he's he's going to give you, you know, he's going to give you an amazing uh, interview as well. You know, probably a little bit of uh, free flowing style, and you know, who knows? Maybe he'll touch on. Uh, racial uh, topics and, and how we need to have love for everybody or maybe he'll just talk shit <laughs> you know what I mean you're, you're, you're as likely to get a, a life lesson as you are just to have him talking shit so uh, good times man good times uh, so yeah I think that'll be a fun card I'll be watching it uh, on uh, I'll be watching on ESPN plus just like the rest of you and of course we'll do an and a half episode overall for everybody at patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow so if you're not signed up over there uh, please do go to patreon.com slash MMA Roadshow for as little as $3 a month. You can get all those and a half episodes, which is damn near every week these days since the UFC is doing shows every week. Ha- happy to do them, man. Enjoy it. And then we do uh, you know, talk about the negative interactions we see online sometimes. Uh, we definitely don't have them over there, man. I love talking with everybody over there. So kind of a fun little community we're starting to build together. So anyway, listen, uh, I got to start getting prepped for the fights tonight. Uh, hopefully, again, by, by the time you, you, you listen to this, it'll probably already be over, but maybe you can watch the replay of CFC 86, and then uh, CFFC 87 is tomorrow night, Friday night, so maybe you can catch that one live. We've got some some, some decent fights uh, on both nights. Uh, I'll focus more on 87, since, like I said, 86 might be in the books by the time you get there, but I love the main event. Santo Corotolo, 5-0 and as a flyweight, five first-round finishes. I mean, come on. Who does that? This does this dude to me seems like he's ready for the next level. Um, but you know, nothing wrong with getting a little seasoning in there. Meanwhile, Alberto Trujillo uh, making the trip in from California. He's originally from Arkansas, uh, but he, he was in the Navy. 
uh, trained over in Hawaii a little bit while he was in the Navy, and then uh, moved to uh, San Diego to be a part of uh, Alliance and Eric Del Fierro. And he's been there the last couple of years, and uh, he's four and one early in his career. And um, you know, said that, you know to talk to him. He's he's got this quiet confidence about him. You know, he's not a trash talker, but he's like, dude, I've I'm you know I've heard of Santo. You know, I know he's a highly respected prospect, but um, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm just as good. Uh, and uh, and I believe in my ability. So this could be a fun uh, flyweight uh, main event. I will say CFFC 86. Uh, I always talk about Texas MMA. Uh, Levi Moles is in the main event, challenging for the ba- vacant bantamweight title against James Gonzalez. James Gonzalez, of course, the guy uh, that, that mangled Pat Sabatini's arm, that, that nasty little shoulder elbow lock that, um, that earned him the CFFC featherweight title. He's now moving down to challenge for the vacant bantamweight title. Um, that was Jared Scoggins' title before he signed uh, with Bellator. He was actually supposed to debut in Bellator this weekend, but his opponent fell out, and uh, so he'll have to put that uh, put that off. But that's why that title is vacant, and these two are challenging. Like I said, Levi Moles, um, I'm always following the Texas scene, and uh, this is a kid that's been fighting since he was like 19 years old and, uh, and has, a, has a decent record. I think 13-4 and four is his record uh, professionally, and everybody that he's lost to professionally uh, is either currently competing in the UFC or in Bellator, and oh, by the way, all those losses were by decision, uh, no no finishes there, and uh, some of them splits even, so I mean, he's right there, and, uh, and and those were early in his career, and now he's, you know, now he's trying to challenge for the Bantamweight title, and I, I did speak to him uh, earlier this week on the phone, and, you know, he was talking about the fact that, uh, man, you know, yes, he, he's eyeing big shows and that sort of thing, and, and titles and all that good stuff, but what he really wants to be is, is like, uh, you know, the Cowboy Cerrone, uh, of, the, of the new generation, you know, a, a guy that fights anybody, anywhere, anytime, and, and that everybody knows they want to see because it's going to be a good fight. So, um, and if you know me, you know, if you're telling me you're going to be like Cowboy Cerrone, that, that goes straight to my heart. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, th- I think we've got a couple good main events back-to-back. So, um, catch them on replay or live uh, on uh, UFC Fight Pass. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to me ramble for all this time. I, I wish I had somebody to, to bounce things off of, but we'll get we'll get back to normal next week. Um, I will be with Cole Coffee, and uh, first time we've heard from him, obviously in quite some time, and uh, obviously still uh, all sending our love his way, man, for everything he continues to battle with. But uh, yeah, we'll talk some fights, and, and we'll just catch up with our boy. And uh, yeah, until then, I'll just say thanks for listening. <laughs>